and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Maria Gilos. And my name is Allison Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about chemotherapy and the brain. Cancer is really pervasive in our society as one of the leading causes of death in the United States. Definitely. According to the National Cancer Institute, around 38% of people will be diagnosed with some form of the illness during their lifetime. So either you've had an encounter with the disease or probably know someone who's been diagnosed. Cancer leaves no one untouched. So Maria, you said that you were talking about chemotherapy in the brain. Are we talking about brain cancer? Not quite. Today we'll be talking about chemo brain, what it is, what causes it, and why. But before we dive into that can of worms, let's talk about chemotherapy. Yes, let's. Chemotherapy is one of the most common forms of cancer treatment. It is often used in combination with radiation or surgery to help kill cancerous cells or control their invasion of the patient's body. Chemotherapy essentially acts as the army attacking a foreign, unwanted, and harmful invasion, the cancer cells. Yes, exactly. And as in any war, there are casualties. Even the good, healthy cells can be affected. Some of chemotherapy's casualties include hair loss, nausea, and general weakness within the body. What's more is there is a new, more interesting casualty emerging as a result of chemotherapy, chemobrain. So here we are, the can of worms. For a long while now, cancer patients who have undergone chemotherapy treatment have been reporting decreased concentration, attention, and impaired memory ability that persists long after chemotherapy treatment ends. It's been puzzling both patients and doctors for a long time. Yeah, and to my knowledge, researchers still are unsure of what the true cause of chemobrain is. Correct, and there are a couple hypotheses floating around out there, but today we'll be unpacking one of the leading hypotheses for the cause of chemobrain, epigenetic changes in the brain. Epigenetics is emerging as a lead area of research, not just in relation to chemobrain, but in relation to a broad range of biological processes from memory to development. Definitely. Now, the epi and epigenetics means above, implying that there is a genome above the genome. Not only is that confusing, but it tells us nothing about how epigenetics actually works. So, epigenetics is an umbrella term that encompasses changes to the 3D structure of DNA, but doesn't actually change a physical sequence. It changes its organization in space. Yes, exactly. And it's this organization in space that increases or decreases gene expression in the body. Epigenetics is like footnotes in a book. They help tell the reader how to interpret what they are reading, but they don't actually change the text itself. Epigenetics works in much the same way. Epigenetic marks tell the cell how to read the genome. Okay, so the cell interprets how to read the genome differently in response to these epigenetic marks. One common way this happens is through DNA methylation, which is when the cell adds a methyl group or chemical tag to the DNA at a specific location to decrease expression of that gene. The specific location is a cytosine, one of the building blocks of DNA. The methyl group or chemical tag on the cytosine acts as a footnote that tells the cell to decrease expression of a certain gene. And there's more than one way epigenetics tags the gene to influence gene expression, most notably the modification of histones in the DNA. And correct me if I'm wrong, but histones are not DNA themselves, but a protein that the DNA organizes itself around. Exactly. And these proteins can also be chemically tagged to increase or decrease expression. Normally, when the DNA is wrapped really tight around these proteins, the cell's machinery cannot reach the genome to express that gene. But 
when the DNA is unwound from these proteins, then it's easier for the cell to access the genes it needs. The chemical tags that can be put onto histones are numerous, but for chemobrain, there are two that are most important, acetylation and methylation of histones. Acetylation typically loosens the DNA around the histones and encourages gene expression. The enzymes responsible for putting this chemical tag on are histone deacetylases. They attach the footnote in a acetyl group to a specific location on the histone to increase gene expression. This location happens to be an amino acid lysine. What's cool about acetylation of histones is that it's not permanent and they can be removed if the cell needs it to be. Histomethylation, however, is a more elusive footnote to unpack. The effects are varied and are known to both increase and decrease gene expression in the cell depending on its location. That's really interesting, but nevertheless important. I think not only have I brushed up on my intro biology knowledge, but I've learned a few new things here today. So let me organize my thoughts. Cells use epigenetics as a sort of footnote to increase gene expression and decrease gene expression appropriately. What exactly does epigenetics have to do with chemobrain? That's a great question. This is actually a newer field of research, so researchers are still determining what epigenetic changes are taking place, like the ones we talked about earlier, during and following chemotherapy treatment. There are a few studies that we can discuss that have begun to identify changes in DNA methylation or acetylation following chemotherapy treatment. An important thing to note is that much research is conducted in animals and often mice are used since not only can researchers modify their genome, but they can easily track changes in their genome. Studies done with mice provide critical findings that often human studies cannot and are a crucial stepping stone toward developing treatments that can be used in humans. That's very true and is the case for the first study we'll be discussing by Kovalchuk and her team that was published in 2016. An important caveat to explore relating to any field of science is the possible sex differences that take place. Kovachuk and her team explored this using rodents and paid particular interest in the prefrontal cortex and the hippocampus, which are two brain regions that are important for decision-making, attention, and learning and memory. In the study, mice were administered one of two different drugs that are typically used for chemotherapy treatment, both of which are toxic to living cells. Researchers found that the most notable changes in gene expression took place in the prefrontal cortex of females who received one of the drug treatments. In the same female animals, the chemotherapy drug induced a decrease in the DNA methylation across the genome, meaning that genes were able to be more easily read. In addition, the same female mice exposed experienced changes in the brain that resembled an aging brain. Alterations also occurred for those receiving treatment with the other chemotherapy drug, but with different expression in the hippocampus noted, compared to mice that did not receive any chemotherapy treatment. However, the results from this study indicated the prefrontal cortex of female mice to be the most vulnerable, with lower DNA methylation and, de and decreased DNA methyltransferase activity, which are proteins that help keep DNA methylation present when transcribing the DNA. That's really interesting, and another study by the same team investigated the possibility of chemotherapy having transgenerational effects or carrying genes over to one's offspring. Specifically, researchers were interested in whether male rodents receiving chemotherapy treatment passed on the effects of chemo brain to their offspring. Here, the researchers exposed the father mice to one of three chemotherapy treatment drugs to assess the alterations in protein expression and DNA damage. Following exposure to two of the drugs in fathers, 
Levels of a protein that work to maintain levels of DNA methylation during the replication of DNA decreased in the offspring. This means that a change in expression of this protein could alter the DNA methylation of the children's genome. Additionally, the researchers noted decreased levels of MECP2, a protein that stabilizes other proteins in the brain and helps maintain neural networks. When the function of the protein is lost, one's genome can become unstable and neural networks would not be properly maintained. While additional studies related to the decreased activity of these two proteins are needed, these results echo the findings of the previous study discussed, with drugs used for chemotherapy treatment leading to more alterations in gene expression. While these studies have important results and, as you said, profound implications for humans, are there any experiments that have been conducted that involve humans relating to this? Actually, there are, and many of them surround women who are treated for breast cancer, since this seems to be a population who suffers from chemo brain more compared to other groups. That's right. And in our article, there's actually a link to a Michigan Medicine video that details this. Oh yeah, it accompanies the study by Yang and her team, which looked at differences in DNA methylation and cognitive function in women throughout their chemotherapy treatment. The researchers gathered a baseline measurement before treatment occurred for both DNA methylation and cognitive function and continued these tests for the following two years. An interesting finding was that while many cognitive functions like attention improved, Following treatment, memory scores never improved. Further analysis revealed that changes in DNA methylation had been previously associated with memory impairment. Even more, a majority of these changes were linked to Alzheimer's. That is interesting. So while some impairments associated with chemo brain may not be permanent, others could be longer lasting and tied to epigenetic modifications? Definitely, at least according to the research in the field so far. So it seems like there are many potential epigenetic changes that occur following chemotherapy treatment that could lead to impairments in thought processes and memory. I agree. It's important to remember, however, that chemotherapy is one of the most widely used treatments for cancer and has a better success rate than other treatments. Nevertheless, it's important to be aware of side effects of this treatment. Very true. Hopefully, by becoming aware of the changes taking place, we can take more steps to be preventative or to help ease these symptoms. That way, patients can receive better treatment and navigate cancer with more support from family and medical professionals. So what exactly does this mean for us? As we mentioned earlier, cancer is one of the most prevalent diseases in our society. The burden is not only an individual one. In 2017, the United States alone spent an estimated $147.3 billion on cancer care. The fact that we've poured so much money into cancer as a society reflects not only our commitment to the care for the sick, but also our drive to find newer, more efficient, and effective treatments for cancer patients. While there is still a long way to go before finding a treatment that replaces chemotherapy, research continues to make large strides in understanding its negative side effects and trying to reduce them as best they can. As far as chemo brain is concerned, we've only just begun. But learning more about these cognitive impairments will in the future lead to better treatment and patient care that allows victims of cancer to navigate this scary experience with more support. Once again, my name is Allison Johnson. And my name is Maria Gilos. Before we leave you today, we want to thank our mentor, Dr. Deuce, who has given us support throughout the process of creating this podcast during these strange times. We also want to thank you, our audience, for listening to us today and hope that if nothing else, you learned something new.